Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week, we're discussing whether Amazon spent too much money on the rings of power. Nick, I know nothing about uh, the Rings of Power. Tell all, please. But it's awful, is it? Um, can I talk about economic theory first? No. It's very important. <laughs> Go for it. So you might not know this, but because um, most people think that economics is about, uh, you know, unemployment and inflation and that kind of thing. But in, Let me tell you what I think it's okay, about. Okay, go on. What do you get on the first page of every economics introductory textbook? I think economics is about um, limited resources Correct. And, and motivation. Yeah, you right. I mean, you don't even need the second bit, maybe. Yeah. But the first bit is what they always say. It's the study of scarcity. Yeah, 10 out of 10. Thank you. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, and the, the, the key observation really is that uh, resources can never make things worse. And, and the reason is if uh, you can't be worse off with a billion pounds than you are with a million pounds. You can't be worse off because... Straight you away, can, I want to disagree, but keep going. Well, because you can pretend that the other, the rest doesn't exist. You can't you just take the first million. Can't pretend. Keep we'll going. get to that. Yeah, keep going. Maybe we'll get to that. So that's the economics theory out of the way, right? So so remember Phew. that, like, more money, more resources is always meant Should to be Should always good. be a good thing. So the Rings of Power um, is a TV program made by... Uh, curiously, a delivery company called Amazon. I don't know if you've heard of them, but they've decided that they are also a TV company and they've made uh, this thing based on Lord of the Rings. Not not the obviously we've got the fantastic films of Lord of the Rings. So this is all the kind of back back material that Tolkien spent a long time generating all the kind of histories of Middle Earth and. Uh, and it draws upon the, that of, material in theory. Oh, okay. It, they've, I mean, I, I think, think it's mainly done. based on the appendices to Lord of the Rings, or at least the first. Um, oh, and you think what? Yeah, well, that's not very much. No, they're enormous. They're about the same length as Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so there's loads of stuff in there, um, and it's really bad. And and I like Lord of the Rings. Why is it? Tell me why it's. Okay, I'm just interested to know why it's bad. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll give you my diagnosis. Chris will no doubt have his own. Is it actually just out of interest? Is it sort of based oh, before say, it, during oh, it, a long it, like time, be, a long time before, but actually an important time because it's when the rings of power were created. Yeah, yeah, thousands, the one, thousands of years before the oh, one okay. ring uh, of of uh, Lord of the Rings fame. Yeah, okay. the Second Age, I believe. Okay. In fact, the rings, uh, which are mentioned in the title of the book, Lord of the Rings. Mm. That's this is supposed to be about where they came from. Got it. But it's not really. They don't really cover that. They spend most of the time concentrating on a load of boring side characters. So why is it so bad? Right. Well, so my my if I had to pick one thing, like the key thing is would be the writing, among a few other problems. Mm. The main one being that the writers, I think, lack a theory of mind. They lack a theory of What's mind. A theory about of their, mind? What's that? Uh, an understanding that other people other people's minds are different. Okay. And and that's there's in two ways. One is that they don't understand that the characters they're writing have their own thoughts and feelings. And they secondly, they don't understand that the audience doesn't know what they know. Right? So yeah. so you they they because they know something is important for the plot, they make the characters act like it's important, even though the characters have no um particular reason to think it's important. Um and because they know why characters are doing things, because they've got in their heads, they don't really bother explaining that. You know, mm. like Galadriel is going off hunt trying to hunt Sauron from but you don't really know why she thinks he's anywhere in particular. 
Uh, you don't know why they all go off to the Southlands, which is an important place. Like, you don't really know why that's supposed to be important to them. It's mm. important to the story mm. that the writers want to tell. Mm. So the characters think it's important. Mm. And then, um, so that what that means is the characters are acting on the basis of no consequences that exist for them, really. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they seem to be acting on because they can bring about things the writers want to happen. It seems like really basic screenwriting to get this it, stuff. That's the, that's the weird thing. It, it is basic. It's very basic. I mean, and they would have spent a lot of money. There would be a team of writers, I'm sure. Um, a few, I think. But the okay. point is, it's, it's genuinely inept. It's not. It's not like oh, I, I think they could have done better. It's really inept screenwriting. Then there's a few other things. Like I think the acting is variable. There's there's about three or four really good actors who who unfortunately, as a result, stand out because you notice that. You, you, this person actually seems like a realistic character, and you and then a lot of the other actors seem to be. I, I've said it's sort of CBB style, children's TV program style acting. Um, the CGI is 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 pretty good, and the the kind of CGI generated sets look good, uh, but. Um, a lot of the story feels very ephemeral, as though it's addressing modern day concerns, and the, the world building is is hugely weak. Like there are things in there where you think they have they don't know why 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 how does the economy work in this city? Why has that one got a king and this one's got a chancellor? Why do these people believe that? Why is that a village? Why are they there? What are they doing? Um, you know, why why are these people migrating? Why is that important? They don't. You can tell they haven't really got answers to those. But things. also, some of the things you're getting into there sound a little detailed. However, I suspect it's one of those things with you don't get the big stuff right, the basic stuff right. You start sort of questioning more what's going on, and you start seeing holes everywhere. Whereas if it's yeah. racing you away to somewhere with this wonderful story writing, you can overlook the fact that um, I don't know other sort of these other inconsistencies or deficiencies. Yeah, they don't, they don't need to tell me the answers to those things, but I need to know they have an answer because then then I then I believe it. But I don't. I don't believe that they have an answer to any of those questions. So you're probably thinking, aren't you? You're thinking, well, then what is this crappy, low-budget TV programme that Amazon have made? And yet... Let me tell you something. It's the most expensive TV programme that has ever been made wow. at $700 million. Whoa. Now, I've worked that out. That's about a million dollars a minute. And I haven't, I've yet to see a, a minute of it where I've thought that was worth a million dollars. Worth any more than 10 quid or something, yeah. Right. I mean, it's really difficult to work out how the hell they've managed to spend a million dollars a minute on this um, incredibly mediocre badly written tv program so before we i feel we're, we're on the on the on the on the cusp of in our own brilliant storytelling by the way yeah. which i'm by the way you can hire me for less than a million quid <laughs> a, a, an hour right um a minute. a minute yeah a minute sorry yeah um but um i feel we're about to pose our question we've almost got to that point but just before you do it just makes me think a little bit about um house of dragons is it yeah which I gave up after three episodes. Okay, well, let's, or let's so. not. Let, what I do want to say is, I don't think I've given away any spoilers. Apologies if you haven't seen Rings of Power. I, I don't want you to, to kind of lead you into thinking it's not very good. Um, but it's I just also, not worth I, a I definitely don't want to. I don't want to start expanding the potential spoiler window to, to House of uh, Dragon. Yeah. House of the Dragon. I will say, having seen the first episode of it, though, mm. that I thought it was just way, way uh, beyond uh, this in quality. I oh, it was really? That's fantastic. Because yeah. also, just as, as, as because as, they get that stuff right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know as an aside, as an aside, 
is I started watching a House, is it what it's called? The House of the Dragon, right? Yeah, but are you a Game of Thrones fan? I am, yeah. Okay. And so I watched the first three and I thought, sod this for a game of right. Thrones. Um, for and Game I thought, of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And I thought, oh, I wonder if, if, if Game of Thrones is as good as I thought it was at the time. And so it prompted me to go back and look at that. And, like, 10 episodes in, I was, you know, yeah, after a day, I was like, oh, wow. It, you know, so it just gripped me in, in a way that this didn't. It was just so plodding and tedious. Anyway, I digress. Yeah. We're almost at the point of our question. The question is, yeah. did Amazon spend too much money on it? Right. Is, is it rubbish because they spent too much money on it? And I think we want to talk about whether, in what ways, having too much can make things worse. I've got a, a, a saying that I invented. Oh. Okay. Um, I've come up with. Right. Necessity yeah. is the mother of invention. Right. What does, what does that mean? Though? Well, you know, we need to get in touch with Amazon about this, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, you know, um, so therefore, I mean, definitely want to ask Chris, um, what it did, did Amazon spend too much money on this? But... Uh, just before we do, at the beginning when we were talking about economics and in theory, um, too much resources can't be a bad thing. Mm. Um, but uh, I mean, I refer you to my little homily that I've come up with. Um, yeah. And that um, it definitely can be. And this feels close to that one we did about, remember, I was talking about friends being overwritten or stuff being mm. overwritten. Do you remember that? Um, I'm sure we'll come back to this. Chris, uh, did Amazon spend too much money on uh, the rings of power? Well, uh, I think what they did was they spent the money on the wrong things. <laughs> that's what they. That's what they did. So the wrong rings or the wrong things. The wrong. The, things. the wrong things. Okay. Yeah. If they'd spent them on yeah um, rings that gave you omnipotence, then that would have probably been worth it. Mm. But uh, instead, they spent it on uh, mostly on 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 CGI. And the, the and the point there is, I, I mean, like some of the some of the cinematography. Uh, when they, for example, they're following the, these migrating people called halfoots, like little half, uh, like um, they're like hobbits basically, um, across the wilderness, and they sort of, you know, they zoom up and they have one of those epic kind of landscape shots, mm. and and you you look at, I mean, Nick said the the world building is is poor. That is true apart from on a visual level mm. where the world building is actually pretty spectacular. Like they're rendering of the world Numenor is is quite incredible that, that was the one thing I thought oh okay like you, you in Lord of the Rings they const constantly hark back to Numenor you know central to, to everything and you kind of think I wonder what that was like and and actually they present while the mechanics of the world are are ploddy when you look at it you go Oh, that looks like a great place to, to live. Yeah, but it looks like a nice little Medi Mediterranean town. The scale's yeah. off. It's supposed to look like the, the hub of a sort of mighty a mighty civilization, I think. Yeah, I think. Anyway, anyway. Yeah, yeah, so they, so they spent, they, sp they, they, they spent clearly lots of money on the visualization of the world. And, um, I, I, and I, I suspect they, they, I mean, there aren't any really well-known actors in there. There are some good actors in there and there are some very, very not good actors in there. Um, but, but, and that was probably a conscious choice, but they you know, they didn't go, let's get the six best, you know, Hollywood actors and, and ship them in, which could also have been a nightmare, of course, but they didn't spend the money on the acting is, is let's cut to the chase so it, it sounds like you know here's a couple of billion quid or whatever it was to make a um, um was it 700 million what i don't know here's a whole chunk of money to make something right 
where, where did it go wrong? What should they have done? This sounds like a decision-making thing, right? Yes. Um, out of interest, what would have it looked like for half that money, for a quarter of that money? Yeah. It, it feels like it's in the decision-making process because there yeah. must be certain things that make, and you would one, one would imagine the people responsible for decision-making know what it what is needed to make a successful, however yeah. one defines that program. What happened? Where was it when? What was the? Yeah, well, so so I think I mean one of the one of the things they did spend money on was the rights. Okay, yeah. I, I believe they spent something like quarter of a billion on buying the rights from the Tolkien. Is that included Tolkien in the estates. in the? Survey? That's what I don't know. Right, because either it's way, really that is hard a, to work that out. is a huge huge sum of money for mm. rights. I don't. How you much know, was it? Quarter of a billion. Wow, and that goes to the um, uh, yeah. I don't know how it's but but um, Tolkien is it Foundation. Simon Tolkien, the grand the grandson was a right. was a um, uh, a um, an advisor on it. But but yes, there's obviously a, a an estate which uh, receives those. Kinds My granddad was a farmer. Mm. If uh, if someone took me on to advise them on how to farm. I, I don't think that would be a good thing to do. No. That mm. wouldn't be a wise choice. No, no, no quite. Um, I mean, Christopher Tolkien, his son, at least was involved in the in in the sort of writing of the books as a, you know, um, a kind of sounding board. But, but yeah, the, the grandson, not so much. Um, anyway, right, so they spent money on the wrong things. I think the reason, what, what does this tell us? You know, why did they make the choices that, that they made? And I think the other thing that it tells us, which which is, you know, sounds obvious, but but I think needs stating at this point is that money may or may not be a necessary condition for success, but it definitely isn't a sufficient condition for success. <laughs> uh, and that really did prove, you know, pr pr prove the, 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 the case here. But um, I, I suppose what happens when you have money that offsets your decision making? Um, what is it that makes you get things get things wrong in a way that they did? Because I think while we can all agree it's really difficult to make an excellent TV series, right, or an excellent film or an excellent anything, it's not. It's also quite really difficult to make something very bad. And I would say this was close to very bad. So you know they 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 kind of made a lot of wrong decisions. And why is that? And it, it does money increase your risk of doing that and I, I think there are a number of reasons which we can start to unpick that, that mean it probably does have an effect on ability to make decisions I think the first of those things is is hubris uh, that if you have money you have been successful and that if you've been successful you're more likely to believe you will continue to be successful right and if you look at like I think it's worth unpicking the idea of hubris because if you look at if you think about examples of hubris it's like um, if you think of someone like Icarus you know as a as a good example of a bit held up as, as hubris it wasn't that he couldn't fly right it was that he tried to fly too hard high that was that was the problem and I think this is Amazon's issue it's one of overextension they're they're obviously a great logistics delivery company they've started making television and they've had some success in television and they've now gone okay you know we can we're really good at thing how a. hard can it be how hard can it be we're yeah. really good at thing a therefore like we're probably Saatchi really good and Saatchi, right this is what happened with them what what did they make an ill-advised move into the uh, into the ice cream business well, into everything, like right? But I mean, what happened? So, such and such. In the 1980s, yeah. they were a super, 
very successful uh, what PR Ad, agency is that yeah, advertising agency yeah made huge amounts of money started growing other PR uh, other advertising agencies and before we knew it within five years they were buying like vacuum cleaner companies in in middle of nowhere in the <laughs> states and just into everything and this vast sort of empire which was really just a house of cards because they didn't they knew about advertising but they didn't know about other stuff um, and it was hubris you know and also it sort of it blinds you and perhaps not quite as risk averse as you should be you yeah. you know because you've got that massive cash cushion I would imagine so yeah sorry I interrupted uh, yeah. you well no so I think there's two types of hubris is that there's the type of hubris uh, which we're talking about here which is I'm good at thing a therefore I'm good at thing B which you know conflating two different sets of skills but I, I think there's also a, a second type of hubris which they're also a little bit guilty of which is I'm I'm really good at thing a so they've started moving into television and you know that's not an easy thing to do and they've had some initial success um, so therefore I'm infallible at thing A um, and, you know, I can just pour, you know, d d do this. And, and you, you know, th that's the classic o overextension, you know, the sort of um, uh, where, you know, you see it constantly throughout history. Like I always think of Tony Blair and his wars of, of choice, mm. you know, of Sierra Leone, great, Kosovo, better, Iraq, not quite so good. And, and, this is a sort of example of of that, you know, um, they've made some TV programs that have had initial success and then they've gone kind of all in on something and made a bit of a pig's ear of it. A couple of things. Um, we're talking about hubris. That tends to, and we're talking about um, Amazon if it's a, as if it's a person, right? Now, of course, it's an organization. And I think maybe there's an element of that going on there where it's not really one person making decisions. It's a whole group of people um, and you guys must work with this kind of stuff all the time, where how does an organization um, operate? Because they don't operate like individuals, or do they? I, they well, uh, interestingly, I, but I did read something that said Jeff Bezos had been told by his one of his grandchildren, no, has he got grandchildren? Some, some young relative. Um, Maybe one of the child slaves he keeps at his <laughs> <Yeah>, That's right. <laughs> um, who, who basically said, this is really important, don't mess this up, you know. And so he, he, he was sort of trying to say this to say, I understand the um, the import, the, the of, import yeah. of what, what I'm what I'm doing, the, the legacy that I'm oh, potentially. So he's quite hands on and, with it. So it's quite um, personal. So. So, yeah, it sounds as if he, you know, I, I can't even a company as big as Amazon. I can't imagine decides to, um, uh, you know, expend a billion dollars on a on a TV show without him having something yeah, yeah. Put into mm, fair decision. enough um so i want to bring in nick um so but before i do so a challenge so um the world cannot purely be seen through the lens of economics it 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 it, it you know as you said so if economics is about anything too, you can't have too much resources seems like well, maybe I, you can. I think. I think here we, it might just actually. I, I'm not sure that's true. It might simply be that we are looking at the measurable resources like money, uh, and ignoring the fact that there are other non-measurable, mm. equally scarce, mm. possibly not even marketed resources. Mm. Um, I will come back to that because I, I just want to widen the scope from this sure. specific. Of course, let's broaden out it out. <clears throat> to um, is it true that big budget films are worse? Do, do big budget films get worse ratings? And um, I don't think so. 
but they certainly don't get better ratings. And I know I'm looking at ratings here. Big budget films, on average, make bigger profits. Mm. No doubt about that. Um, and in fact, like their 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 sort of probability of making a profit at all, uh, I think, is um, is higher. Like you're less likely to get a flop if you spend lots and lots and lots of money on stuff. Um, but there is a sort of slight. But so I looked at the famously the, blander though. Often, right, but, actually, and that that t- ties very much in with the like. If you look at the the budget versus the rating, mm. um, it. It, the spread goes down. Yeah, so yeah. That's, in, that's exactly what you just said. It's basically you're going to get a more homogenized product um, with a big budget and, and for all kinds of probably fairly obvious reasons, I would imagine. Mm. Um, but anyway, I, so I looked at the it's really hard to get data on on films in general, films like ratings um, and uh, and then uh, like budgets, particularly really, really difficult to find. And um and and even when you do, there's all kinds of problems with the data, like different titles and, you know, under, knowing which film is which and that sort of thing. But anyway, so instead of doing a nice big sort of proper bit of data analysis, I just looked at the 250 top films mm. and asked, well, how many of those are in the top 100 most expensive films? Mm. And it turns out that six of them are. From the top 250 top rated films, six of them, were in the top 100 most expensive films. And they are Mm. The Dark Knight, Toy Story 3, The Dark Knight Rises, The Lion King, Avengers Endgame, and Avengers Infinity War. Um, Are in the top 250 rated rated films. Bloody hell. I know well, that's, that, that's so, invalidated. The I, top well, that's, that's my, this is based on IMDb scores, I yeah, think. Okay. So it's driven largely by, I mean, Dark Knight baffles me, but I get it. It's like one of those things that uh, if you grew up, I guess, exactly, if you were 13 at the first time you saw it, you probably think it's the most awesome film ever made. Um, so then I, I couldn't find the 250 bottom rated films, but I did find the top 100 bottom rated films. Okay. Uh-huh. One, one is in the 100 most expensive. And so I, I think on average we could say possibly two or three, extrapolating to the bottom 250, might be uh, so equivalent, the equivalent of the 250 top rated. Probably half as many, I, I would say. Half as many really, really bad films are in the top 100 most expensive as are in the So does this mean you should spend loads of money on films? It means you're buying an extra sort of roughly three in 250 chance of getting mm. your film into the top rated rather than but but in, the uh, interesting thing film lone ranger that actually the uh, the, the, the it, curiously and i thought more avengers but no it's actually the totally different avengers from 1998 based on the 1960s tv program okay that's the so that that's in the top 100 most expensive and in the top 100 bottom rated mm. now uh big budget films have been getting worse over time. Mm. Um, so according, and this is according to an article I read, uh, the highest grossing films each year, which I, we can use as a proxy for biggest budget, even though that's revenue rather than cost because they're very closely related. Um, but the, the ratings have dropped from 85% in the 70s to about 60% now. Of big budget films. Big budget films. So in, in the 70s, you're looking at all of those, cla- all of the classic films that you would happily sit down and watch. 70s, 80s, it's all the kind of Indiana Jones, Jaws, um, Terminator, all of those kinds of things, the big blockbusters of the 70s and 80s, very highly rated. Now, average rating of uh, the biggest grossing films is uh, 60%. So we're getting increased blandification. 
Um, who who does the rating? That's oh, these are I, all these are all like crowd ratings. Yeah, um, but I'm but I'm wondering about the demographic of the type of I, person who puts a crowd rating. Yeah, so I was interested in that, and I, um, but uh, it's very hard to get that data, and the, uh, it's also quite interesting looking at like the Rotten Tomatoes have this audience score, yeah, and they have the, the critic, critic score, score. Yeah. and. I'm very often on the side of the critics in general, right? Normally yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. trust the critics. With Rings of Power, it's like 35% audience score, 85% critics score. When there's a disparity, it's always for an interesting reason. And I don't, I can't explain this mm. unless Amazon have paid critics to yeah. uh, give it a positive write-up. Because whoever those critics are, they need to look at themselves in the mirror. Um, but yeah. so in terms of costs, like if you're making a film, Apparently, on average, only about 5% goes into script and development. Yeah. And I would imagine that's much, much lower for Rings of Power. Yeah. It, it can't not be because everything else is so much so more much, expensive. Yeah. Production costs, apparently, how much does it cost to make a film as a percentage of the spend? The actual making the film. Does this, does this include promotion? No. So this is filming stuff. Yeah, but I mean, is promotion up. included in the whole budget of the film? Uh, yes, think, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so okay. the whole budget would be everything you spend on that film, every dollar you have to spend. So this includes CGI, yeah. all that kind of stuff? Uh, oh, that's all production, yeah. The actual yeah. making of the film. What percentage? I'm going to yeah. say 50%. I'm going to say 80%. 25% what? on average. Mm. Where, does for, it, where does it all go? 40% is marketing. marketing. On average, yeah, more. Yeah. The marketing budget for films is higher than the average production cost. Uh, but which, I mean, there you go. I'm not going to. So I'm not going to sit here and slag off marketers. Um, but the, the, point, the point is, I think the big story here is that budgets do not actually help make better films they they might they lower your probability of, of making a really terrible film um and in fact low budget films have higher profitability on average anyway as you'd expect because like the costs are lower so you you make you know every pound you make is a higher return on investment um so so why do i mean there there we are yeah that's sorry that's a, that's a kind of sweep through what data i could find about uh films it doesn't exactly tell me what I was looking for, which is, does a higher budget at some point make your film worse? So, But, it, but what it does do, it, it definitely says that a higher budget beyond a certain point will make your film worse if it was going to be good. If it was going to be a good low-budget film, and now it's a high-budget film, it will probably be uh, worse. But uh, if it was going to be a terrible film, the big budget might well uh, help it. I, that's not totally mean sure, the way yeah. I presented it but a few random points yeah um, just say there is a we've talked about this before ages ago there is a little bit of data out there about this there's a book which you might be familiar with called Visualising Data something like that have yeah, you seen yeah, that be, uh, yeah, yeah I think they've I got a section yeah. there on exactly this right. which I should have mentioned pre before we you know, researched what's the so story uh, I can't remember other than I mean, it was a really interesting matrix where you've got um, um, you know budget yeah um, high budget, low budget, and then measured against um, mm. financial success and critical. Right. I can't remember quite how it all fits in, and kind of, you know, the films. Yeah, it's very rare actually to get a low budget film that's massively successful. Oh, sorry, that's critically appraised mm. and financially successful. Yeah, I think what it all. I th if if I remember correctly, you're better off spending more money if you want to make a bit of money basically so uh, right so i think and it also think, goes back to sorry to to one thing i think you know which you'll be pleased to hear about aims i mean what if you're a studio what's your aim do you want a critically successful film right. but probably only in as much it, the critical success only in as much as that might help 
um, it be financially successful and future projects be financially yeah. successful. So what's your aim? Yeah. Um, and one final thing, I was probably wrong before when I said that Amazon was, should, should be more risk averse. Right? Maybe that's the problem here, is that with more money, more's at stake, and this is what people talk about, there's no risk taken in, in films anymore. Um, because it's so much money at stake, and so therefore they're too risk averse, and so you get these bland sort of films. But that in itself is a risk, right? I yeah. Mean, right. But anyway, yeah. uh, coming on to your point about what are you what are you actually trying to achieve? What's the goal of the purpose? I think there's quite an interesting thing here in this context, right? Because Amazon is not primarily a TV production company, right? It's a broad brand that does a lot of stuff, most of which is selling you things, right? Mm, mm. Um, uh, and and I I think there's a there's a case here that actually as a strategy, they weren't necessarily that bothered about whether or not they made a good TV show, right? It was more the, um, I, I think there's a potential here that what they are signaling is um, that they, they were creating a white elephant, right? And I don't mean in the sense that we use the phrase, I mean, do you know the origin of the term white elephant? No. So it, it dates. It, it goes back to um, the the monarchs of of sort of Burma, Laos, Cambodia, um, and they would uh, keep albino elephants, which were very rare, right? And uh, these were sacred creatures. So you you um, it sort of you know demonstrated their their divine power in some way ha having these these things. But the point is, uh, you they weren't allowed to work because they were sacred things. So to keep a white elephant cost you a huge amount of money. In fact, the King of Siam used to give them to courtiers he didn't like as a, a bit of a curse. So it's like, yeah, they, they then like, oh great, I'm now gonna have to bankrupt myself keeping this, this white elephant. But the point is, it's about a demonstration of, um, of wealth that has no purpose effectively other than to demonstrate the, the the wealth itself and say hey i can sustain this um this white elephant in my in my back garden and I, and while i don't think they will have deliberately set out to make a bad program i think the the aim was probably not necessarily let's make a massive hit but let's demonstrate that we can spend we're a billion. A we're a presence. Yeah. We can spend a billion dollars on a TV show. There you go. Take it or leave it. Kind mm. of thing. Yeah, so. I, I mean, because obviously I'm not naive enough to think that they're doing it because they want critical acclaim. But getting critical acclaim is does not going to cost them more money. Like, you know, within that budget, they could have done something good. Um, there's, it's almost, I'm not going to say it's free for reasons that I'll mention in a minute, but the point is it's not more expensive to produce, to take that budget and everything else, all exactly the same resources, even the same actors, and, and make something good, right? It, that could be done. People on the internet have done it already with the Rings of Power. They've re-edited it so it makes more sense and they've, you know, kind of cut characters out and it's, it's already better for free. Uh, so... I, I suppose the, th the thing I wanted to say is just this issue of like, what are the resources you cannot buy even if you're Jeff Bezos? And I think here, it this is where it comes down to actually, there is the amount of people who can make a really good big budget film in the world is probably tiny. The, the number of people who could take the appendices to Lord of the Rings 
and turn it into a really good TV program is probably very, very small. And the cost is not their salary so much as finding out who they are. And, and there are all these things that are really scarce and hard to measure about where quality comes from. Um, that I think, you know, if you're a company like Amazon, you probably, you probably just think, well, we will throw more money at it and it'll magically be better. Um, but of course, that neglects the fact that so many of these key enablers to, to producing quality are things that, that you, you cannot, you, you just can't find out in advance um, until you've, or you need extremely talented people to be able to say, this person's a really good screenwriter, this is a good screenplay, um, you know, and the whole sort of chi chain of production through to it coming out. Um, and you you can't just buy that, I suppose, is what I'm saying. But it kind of reminds me of the, the mythical man month idea. Uh, I don't know. It's the it's a book by Fred Brooks from the mid 1970s about software projects and why um, people would you know managers tend to sort of look at this software project and say oh, it's going to take someone six months to develop. Mm. So we'll get um, we'll get six people to do it and it'll only take a month. That's the idea of the mythical man month. We'll get twelve people to do it and we'll finish it in two weeks. But in fact, it's it's one of those things where you cannot buy extra production with more people or you know because that some things just have to be done by one person like the communication costs in a team of 12 start to become very significant mm. if you're trying to parcel up a software project between lots of people um and i, I feel like it's i can imagine although with this is entirely speculative that you know when they had, they had these writers they were like look we actually need to start contracting for you know the costume department um, in in the next year because we'll get a discount then. So can you make sure you know what all the characters are going to be? Oh, and uh, yeah, like the CGI people need to start working on the set of that thing. You know, so you you've got to decide which things are going to. And you could, even if these people are good writers, you can see them sort of thinking, well, we'll have to just hurry that up. And of course, you know, they, they haven't got the luxury of going, well, this is actually going to take five years because it's really it's a really hard job to try and get all these characters. And you just cannot throw more money at it and get it and, and somehow magically make it better. Right. And also the One budget and the more money you've got can be a problem in itself. If let's say, for example, I presume they would have run this in front of a test audience or test audiences. And hopefully some of those people would have might think if we're right, let's say, we'd go, oh, my God, this is awful. Right. So let's say they did that. Well, if you've, I mean, just to be fair, to, to try and defend um, Amazon, not that they particularly care what I'm going to say, but it can be difficult when you're really close to a project to know yeah. like this, to know mm. if it's any good or not, right? But that's why you have test audiences, partly. Yeah. And But the problem is, if I make my five-minute film that costs me 500 quid and someone goes, well, this is a load of rubbish and I still have faith in the project, well, I can, I can work with that. Mm. But if I've got this behemoth that costs yeah, hundreds exactly. of millions, how does one grapple with right. that? And, and I think that is a key there are certain things i suspect there are some things where if you do throw more money at it there's almost a, a direct correlation with the quality of it right mm -hmm. but i think one nick said what things can't you can't you buy right and he he mentioned sort of foresight as one thing and i think this is this is key there are certain types of things that you don't know whether they're a success or not until they've happened. It's very difficult to sort of see this is going well or this is going badly until until the end. Have you heard of the, the ship, the Vasa, the Swedish no. warship from the, from the 17th century? So it's, it, uh, my, my wife went to, um, uh, uh, to Stockholm recently and, and visited the museum. And um, essentially, it's, um, it was the most expensive warship of, it, of its time, built, built by um, King Adolphus. Um, and uh, it 
sank uh, roughly after sailing 1,300 meters in its maiden voyage. Okay. So it was it was highly decorated. It was basically top top heavy. Yeah. Um, and as soon as a gust caught its sails, it it tipped over and and sank to the bottom of the sea. Um, but but I think films and TV shows are in that in that category of thing that you don't know whether it's good or not until it's a bit too late you mm. know like you say you can't remake the whole of the rings of power because somebody thought it it wasn't very good um and 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 i think there are other things like that like wars you yeah. know so you don't know whether you're going to win a war until you're in the middle of it and by that stage it's too late so yeah. i think i think where uh, you know, and we're seeing this obviously with 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 Putin at the moment. He thought he had an expensive, a more expensive army than his than his opponents, and therefore it was better. It turns out it wasn't right. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I, I think one of the um, ingredients for this kind of problem, where where money doesn't buy you success, are, are problems where you you can't have foresight about whether or not it's it's going to be yeah yeah be yeah. yeah so i think i think what we're saying is the the unmeasurable bit which is let's say how good the russian army is um or or how good this uh, the rings of power is <laughs> quite mm. similar things in a way you know in that um it is not something we can measure but if you're a manager you sort of if do get sucked into thinking the things I can measure are the important things, and and this is an example of one of them. I mean, uh, yeah. So I, but there's there is a similar phenomenon, I think. With and I think you know what we've been saying is you, if you want to make a really successful film, you are going to need to start with um, some several millions of dollars, and up to a certain point, the constraint is money. Uh, if and if you keep adding money, at some point the constraint stops being money. Money stops being the thing stopping your film getting better. But what that is and when it happens is very hard to spot, and how you fix it is not something you might notice. So, um, yeah, sorry, just one final thing. There is an analogy uh, with happiness, life satisfaction. Um, the 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 um, data is a bit mixed on this, but there is this kind of consensus that it look, if Helps you look to at, a certain point, yeah, then, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like like the constraint with you being happy is money. Uh, up to a certain point and then it starts being slightly harder to deal with things like you know your your friends and your environment and yeah. um uh you, you know and your human and social capital and these other things which which uh, money is no longer going to start fixing brilliant um i like that i feel we sort of what i liked about that is is how we started to sort of get our um tentacles into other things and how it spread out there nicely as it as it should um super quick question mm. um choose one or both of these favorite low budget film um favorite high budget film that was a critical disaster oh choose i mean maybe that's a second no I, can, I, can, I mean i can certainly do the I, was, first I can one. kick off with my favorite low budget film um i think i mean there are so many but maybe it's just because i saw a documentary about it about a month ago which is um um, lock, stock, and two, two, two smoking, smoking barrels. barrels. Yeah. Um, oh no, no, is it that one or Snatch? Which was the second one he did? <laughs> Snatch. Snatch. Was the about it. the diamond. Yeah. Thing, yeah. I think that's a great film. Pretty low budget on that. I mean, be a few millions, but it has um, got Brad Pitt in it though. It's got Brad Pitt in it, and actually, uh, remind me the name of the director. Guy Pitt, um, Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie. He was saying actually, 
um, you know, the pre-production was well underway. It was all kind of written. And, and then because of Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels, I think, Brad Pitt rocks up or says, hey, I want to be in your film. And at which point they go, oh, OK, let's find a part or something for Brad Pitt to do. And actually, often that can be a recipe for disaster. In this case, I thought it was really good. You know, uh, it, a lot although, of people say that is Brad Pitt's best performance. Yeah, well, yeah. I think Brad Pitt's a very good actor, actually. But um, but actually, interestingly, I, I believe that initially they wanted him to have a London accent that he couldn't do it. Um, so they had to sort of re write it as a, as a sort of um, as a an traveler, Irish, an Irish no, traveler no, yeah. sort of thing. That's probably great low budget film. Of course, there's so many out there. Uh, favorite high, you know, crappy film that's high budget. I can't think. Well, I think we've established there probably on crappy ones. Uh, but you're looking for one which is like you like perhaps more than the average yeah. person. But can't I mean I can't think off the top of my head. So anyway, um, I think Chris. it is hard. Well, I, I my favorite um, my favorite low budget film is probably also my favorite film, which is with Nail and I. With Nail and I, yeah. Um, and very uh, dark that film, like physically. I mean, I, I'm often fine peering at. He it, did you? I mean, he he. Um, uh, I think it was Bruce Bruce Robinson, isn't it, director? I think he used a lot of natural lighting, for example, mm. which is why. So when they go up to the um, he, he wasn't a professional filmmaker. I mean, or rather, he he was really inexperienced when he made uh, with Nan and I. And for the scene when they arrive at Monty's cottage, and and they manage to find a candle, and and um, with um, with Nan's going around looking at uh, oh sorry uh, Marwood the eye characters looking at the photos on the wall, um, and and uh, Bruce Thomas was like, uh, well, why do we need lighting? Like he's got a candle, can't we just use that? <laughs> and he did, and it looks great. Wow, yeah, um, nice. So you know things like that, like like well, the 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 received wisdom is you need to heavily light this scene to make it look dark. And he was like, no, we'll just use the candlelight. <laughs> yeah, um, no, good. But, yeah. yeah. My only problem with that film, I remember the first time I saw it, and I couldn't work out whether it was meant to be set in the '60s or the '80s. Mm. Because um, lots of it does look quite 80s, but of course it's set in about 69 or something. But, but yeah, but of course, yeah, the difference between the 60s and the 80s actually is only about 12 years. So uh, <laughs> I know what you yeah, mean. But though, anyway, yeah. and we've talked Sorry. about it in another so, thing. Yeah, but, um, um, but my big budget film that is not, uh, but I like, I think, apparently a lot more than a lot of people is Alien Resurrection. So mm. a lot of people, especially Alien fans like me, um, really look down on it, and uh, and and because it's. It, it's very off-piste for Alien, okay. I think it's. But I, I, uh, I think it's it's great fun. It's got some really good scenes in it. It's it's campy and hammy, and um, I I really enjoy it. So I, I think that would be my big budget nice. film, which yeah, I yeah. like a lot better than most people. Yeah, Chris. Uh, well, coincidentally, uh, actually, uh, my um, I was having a a WhatsApp discussion with a, a bunch of my old friends um, about uh, favorite British low-budget films because uh the film id came up i i dropped a reference to the film id it's about football hooliganism in the 1980s okay um and it was a bit of a cult film it is it's not it's not a great film but it's a bit of a cult film it, like it's amusing and um uh well studied by people who were into football in the 1980s i thought you could say um, who were there being hooligans in yeah, the 80s yeah, right yeah exactly <laughs> Um, uh, um, but um, so no, I, so I then came up with a sort of top five list of uh, of my favourite low budget British films. One of which was ID. But I had um, uh, uh, Wicker Man, oh, yeah. uh, Time mm. Time Bandits, mm. um, American no budget though. I doubt I think it. Time Terry Gilliam was probably quite. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, George it feels Terry Gilliam's, Terry Gilliam's yeah. famous for not being able to control his budget. True, yeah. but anyway, True. Uh, American Werewolf in London. 
Um, Again, I'm not sure that's low budget. Anyway, well, yeah, I mean, I think that would be some of the yeah. best special effects of all yeah. time. Uh, and uh, Children of Men. Um, I don't know children. Clive oh, Owen, isn't it? Yeah, it's, oh, okay. it's about uh, um, a plague that befalls humanity. Um, uh, Chris but, likes things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I will tell you, I can't tell you a high budget film which nobody else liked, uh, but. Uh, but I, but I did. But I can tell you a high-budget film which everybody liked, or lots of people liked, that I unbelievably loathed. Right. Titanic. Um, yeah, I, I just... I thought you were going to say Forrest Gump, but anyway. No, I'm not a big fan of Forrest Gump, but Titanic is the one that really drives me to um, uh, all sorts of... Um, yeah, yeah, just... just you need to stop watching it every week. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, no. Uh, as, yeah, I, I was just glad when it sank and it was all <laughs> finally over. Um, um, I mean, I think a nice test is you might have seen it once. I've seen it once. Haven't seen it again. No. You know? True. Um, with Nell and I, how many times you've seen yeah. that, right? Um, all right, let's stop there. That was fun. Um, Thanks, as always, um, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew. I've been here with Chris Ragg and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Mm -hmm.